Greetings, friends and comrades. This is Rob in the Shadow of Rockford Tower. Carl is with me, as always, and this is your Highlands Bunker podcast for the week. Our guest today is an old friend, Dustin Thompson, from the Sierra Club in Delaware United. And what we want to do today is just have a little um, a little update. Uh, I guess we're about halfway through the legislative session, and uh, I kind of want to talk about what's happened, what's due to happen, what I expect to happen and what might not happen. Uh, so let's get right into it. Uh, Dustin, thanks for, uh, thanks for jumping on. I know you're, uh, a man of, a man like you that's on all of these Zoom sessions for, for, uh, for the General Assembly. I know, uh, you have to jump off of those and onto this, so I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Uh, the, session is definitely within full swing. This is like the busiest session, I think, Delaware United's ever had. So it's been wild. And then I have, you know, another full-time job now that uh, I get to work on other issues that normally DU doesn't get a lot of involvement in. Yeah, I mean, on one hand, I am very, um, I, I, I'm, I'm happy that there looks like there's going to be, you know, more on the table and it's an active session. A lot of new members doing uh, some things. I, I kind of want to talk about what the what the feel has been or whether there has been a feel because, you know, there's a new there's new leadership in the Senate, a lot of new members, um, but still mostly online, like virtual Zoom stuff. Um, so has that I mean, is, is there a is there a different feel because of all of these changes or is it hard to gauge because we're still virtual due to the pandemic? I don't think it's hard to gauge at all. There's definitely a new feel, uh, particularly in the Senate, I would say. Uh, there's a new feel. I would say that the House, I would actually say that the House is a new feel too, uh, but it's not as positive of one as it is over in the Senate. Um, I think virtual access has actually expanded people's involvement uh, with what would be down considered down in Dover um, for, on the public side. So, yeah, I, I am glad to hear that. We talked a little bit about that in some other areas too. I think one night I had joined a um, a school board meeting and it was it was packed. And I talked to somebody afterwards, and they basically said the one good thing about this is a lot of people, especially in the evenings, can join and at least like see the discussion, uh, get involved, and all and everything, which is which is great. I, like I said, but I just didn't know how it was impacting like the feel, the the legislative feel, whether that was having um, an impact. You mentioned in the House, it's sort of a negative impact. I guess I'll assume that that's because while there's been new members, the leadership didn't change. Would I be correct in that assumption? The leadership did not change, um, and I think that. You know, to an extent, they're maybe getting they may be getting a little bit more pushback on some things than than what has happened in the past um, with some of the new people coming in and really wanting to kind of get right to work and and not really down with kind of some of the ways that the house operates. And I've and I've heard some, you know, complaints more on the public side on on you know similar issues to how the Senate operates, but it, it, they're different. They're, they're different by nature. So um, just as an example, right, we've heard 
from people that normally are not involved in like the Senate committees, for example, right? And compared, to, you know, contrasting with the House, the Senate does not vote. They don't do a roll call in their committees. And so if you're in a House committee, right, when the bill is done being considered, somebody makes a motion to release or not, table, what have you, and then they do a roll call. And they are particular about doing roll calls right now in the virtual space. And I think people kind of appreciate that, um, right? Because they know if they're in attendance, at least, they know who's voting which way. In the Senate, though, you don't get that. They don't do a roll call. Um, they have an hour to sign, you know, virtually sign the back of the bill, so to speak, to get it out of committee or not. Um, and so the public really doesn't get to hear that. And so it can be kind of a shock for people that are not familiar with the fact that that's always been what right or wrong that's always been the way that the senate works they don't do roll call votes uh in committees so you know we've gotten some feedback kind of complaint sort of stuff about that process in the senate whereas on the house side we've gotten kind of complaints on you know where the bills are getting put into which committee and um you know whether things are trying to be stifled or not and that's sort of a little bit more direct conflict yeah, I want to touch on that because we 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 saw a uh, we saw a bottleneck. We had a discussion with um, a a guy uh, who is from Delaware, but has worked in the cannabis industry in Colorado for about four years, and we were tracking that through the system. And I want to ask some kind of like technical committee questions. But before we get to that, I, I just want to cover um, anything that's passed so far or any accomplishments that have been made, the one thing, I guess the, 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 the ease to voter registration, uh, move, is that completely passed or is that moved on? Does that move on to the, that was just passed through the Senate yesterday. Is that right? Okay. Yeah, that was passed through the Senate. I think people, you know, some, some people don't really understand, uh, the, the value of this bill and how, how just big of a how much of a BFD that this thing really is. Yeah, explain, um, ex explain the details for us. So right now we have an entirely opt-in program um, and it only runs through the Department of Motor Vehicles. Uh, so if you don't have reason to go to the DMV um, or don't frequently go to the DMV, uh, then you really don't get touched on this, you know, what we consider automatic voter registration. Um, and so, there, you know, there are entire categories of citizens in Delaware that don't don't have a driver's license. They don't go to the DMV. Um, they're not, you know, they're not likely to be touched by the process. Um, what this system would do is completely contrast to that. And not only would it not be an opt in, it would be an opt out situation. Uh, it would go through every depart, every state agency that collects the necessary information. So you have uh, the Department of Labor, um, you have uh, even in the case of people being uh, released out of the Department of Corrections and going to various state agencies uh, to help get reintegrated into uh, society. Um, if you prove your legal residency in the U.S. and you prove that you're a resident of Delaware by fact, by fact of the paperwork that you have to submit, you will be automatically registered to vote. And now you're unaffiliated. And this is what this is kind of where it gets to be even bigger of a deal. So you're registered automatically as unaffiliated. And then they send you a card 
to choose to affiliate or opt out, right? You can say, no, I don't want to be registered, right? Don't register me. Or you can say, that's fine. Uh, here's the party that I choose to be affiliated with. Um, if you don't respond, then you just remain registered affiliated. Um, at any time, you can go on and, and deregister if you wanted to. But here's the thing. If you, if you don't do anything, right, and you remain unaffiliated, when the next primary happens, you can then affiliate with a party. And so that's a, like, that's a sea change from what we have right now, where you have this arbitrary deadline to register and affiliate with a party. And in this case, you would already be registered, and then you could go and affiliate at the polls on primary day. So you're skipping that really cumbersome, like, oh, my God, I don't know if I'm registered and I don't know if I'm affiliated, right? You'll know that you'll be registered and you can just affiliate when you get to the polls. Oh, so if I'm uh, because I started my my voting, my registration is unaffiliated for a long time. But obviously living in Delaware and, you know, just having the politics we do now that we have a choice within the Democratic Party. I, I'm, I'm a, I, I've been registered a Democrat for, I guess, since Eugene. But is it is it true that it would work for me, too? So I could go in. I could change to unaffiliated, but then claim my my party affiliation on primary day at the polling place? So that window would only be open for people that got touched through the AVR system. Gotcha. Okay. Um, now there are, you know, so there is a question of the same day registration as well. So if, if you don't get touched by this new AVR system, assuming that it passes, um, you didn't go to one of these state agencies, you don't do any government service, you know, you don't uh, use any government services. Um, through DHS or DHSS or, or Department of Labor or whatever. Um, we would still have Sherry Dorser Walker's bill of same-day registration. Now, the question is, if you're unaffiliated, can you change, can you affiliate? Can you change your registration to be an affiliated person or not? And we're still going kind of back and forth on that. That's really what we what we want to have happen um there's a lot of pushback on if you're affiliated with say ipod or something because you didn't realize that that's not a real party and you thought it was independent which happens a lot um not that's not a real party but it's a it's technically a real party but no, I, I i yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so <laughs> um they you know certain people don't want you to be able to change from iPod or green or whatever over to Democrat, but particularly concerned with Republican to Democrat, right? Because then you're basically, it was what, what's called an open primary and there's a lot of pushback on that. But if you're unaffiliated, right, then you're not, you, you've never declared an, an allegiance to a party, right? So you should be able to affiliate whatever party that you want. Um, and so we're, you know, we're, we've, we're in conversations on that front, but hopefully it will happen. Yeah. So how do you feel about that move into the house? Yeah. So I, again, it's hard. It's really hard to gauge the temperature in the house uh, on any issue. It feels like this year leadership is really kind of clammed up to the outside um, and, and are operating not really in a way that's like, oh, it, it's pretty a clear path right on, on really any bill. Um, everything just seems very random this year. Even the leadership's own legislation uh, seems pretty random this year. So it's just hard to tell. I think if it got to the floor, that it would be a close vote, but I think that it would pass. Okay, committee stuff. 
tax brackets. Uh, John Kowalko, uh, the hero, has been championing championing uh, you know just this modest change for a long time, um, just to try to ameliorate in a small way, you know, sort of baked in systemic, you know, uh, wealth inequality and income inequality, uh, and it goes down in committee uh, with two Democrats in the House. Uh, voting with the Republicans, uh, Krista Griffith and Jerry Brady, my rep, of course. Um, you know, obviously it's a disappointment. I, I, I'm not, I, could, I can't say that I'm uh, surprised. Um, but first, I'd just like your feelings in general on it. And secondly, I'd like your feelings about, I guess it was uh, Representative Griffith, I think, who made comments about, you know, sort of being released to do this, but now, uh, you know, opening up the political room uh, on the minimum wage bill. So, you know, you kind of like open up some space for you to then take a stand on minimum wage because you took, you know, you you, you scuttled this um, in committee. So what's your thoughts and, and specifically what 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 politics are being played and what can we expect on other sort of economic justice issues like the minimum wage down the line in a few months? Yeah, the minimum wage, I feel like is going to be, I mean, it's just such a weird dynamic that, uh, you know, if we were taught having this conversation, like even last year, um, the house would have been my least of my concerns. Uh, the Senate would have been the concern and now it's just 100% you know, the dynamic has just shifted um, 180 degrees. So um, I don't know. That's new to me. Uh, the the idea that if I kill pit reform, that I'll vote yes on minimum wage. That seems pretty odd uh, to, to say that when, I mean, you really don't need, they're not connected in any way, shape or form. You don't really need to take that stance. Um, I know what's come up since then, and it's crazy to me that this is like a controversial thing that Delaware United has done by by mentioning, um, you know, what happened in committee. I was in the committee, as was um, Donna, who's on our steering committee as well, and some others from DU were on the committee hearing as well. Um, and, you know, we just stated what happened, right, that that Gerald Brady and Krista Griffith voted alongside with Republicans to kill the bill in committee. Uh, and people asked why. And we said, you know, her major con her major point that she made on the record, and if you follow the recording, you'll see, um, was that she was concerned if we tax the wealthy, they would leave the state or never come here to begin with. And in which case, if you looked at the, the data on the bill, it really flipped the dynamic of where our pit money was coming from. So right now, it majorly comes from people, in, you know, 150,000, well, 250,000 or below. Um, and this would kind of flip that. Most of our pit income by percentage would come actually from wealthier people. And so the concern that she voiced was if they leave, right, then aren't we doing the opposite of what we're saying? We're going to destabilize our budget. I mean, I don't agree with that, right? Um, I, it's hard to prove that, but that's just yeah, what I guess said. So. And that's my, and I know that comes up all the time. And I want you to speak to this directly since you brought it up, because I know she, she brought this up too. Uh, and the, the reason it sticks in my craw is one of the first sort of confrontations I had with uh, Carney, Governor Carney, 
uh, out in the world was uh, a very similar thing. And his answer uh, was very similar. It's like, well, we provide these services. They'll, they'll go elsewhere. They'll take their cap capital flight, you know, they'll call it. Um, but there's no evidence that this actually happens. Yeah. So um, if you look at the data on the bill, actually, so, you know, we were all right in saying that um, it's about 5% of people in Delaware that would be impacted by the bill. I mean, I, you know, I, I saw the charts right when the bill came out. Um, uh, if you, there's a data source that you can go online, you can look at kind of where our uh, tax percentages fall in line with our workforce. Um, and, and, and that was confirmed by the comptroller as well, uh, that it was about 5% um, a couple of weeks later. Um, but if you look at like overall who's impacted, then it was higher because we have out-of-state workers that work in Delaware. And so the larger percentage of people that was already, they don't live here anyway, right? They, so they're not going to move. They have already moved. They're already gone, right? They live in pen, mostly Pennsylvania, um, but they work at in the banking industry here in Delaware. And it's, you know, it's unlikely that the banks are going to pick up and roll out to Pennsylvania, Um Anytime soon, whether or not their workers have to pay more in, in taxes. But the other argument was that, you know, this would disincentivize businesses from coming in. And, and that really just didn't make any sense because we have a different, it's a different tax structure. Businesses, unless you're a sole proprietor, right, where you claim the capital and loss on your business um, as personal income, uh, which as a massage therapist, I did do. Um, then it's through your pit, but but otherwise you're going through a different tax structure, so which we weren't changing. So that was a an interesting comment to make during the committee hearing. Um, but you know, if you look at what other states are doing, and this was Rick Eisenberger, uh, Secretary of Finance's big point was um, he's like, oh well, if we add more brackets, then we'll be more convoluted than any other tax bracket system in the country. We would be up there uh, with the number of brackets that we have, but hey, let's lower taxes on the bottom brackets, right? And consolidate some of those and add the top ones if we're worried about the sheer number. But if you look at, and I'm working with John on this now, if you look at the rates, just the rates in other states, uh, they tend to tax lower incomes at a higher percentage than what we do, but their top variable rate, uh, their top, um, sorry, marginal rate, is higher than ours. There's a number of states that are higher than the 6.6 that we have. Um, and what, some of them go well into the 8, 9, 10%. Um, so I'm working with John now to kind of maybe do a redo on that, um, consolidating some bottom brackets and um, providing some tax cuts for working families in Delaware and, and adding a couple brackets up top that are in line percentage-wise uh, with other states in the country um, so we can just kill that argument on the floor. Like it won't be up for debate. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, there really isn't any data behind this flight. Uh, and I think everybody in this state, because it's small and everybody kind of knows, you know, people in the banking industry, people in finance, corporate attorneys, lobbyists, you know, doctors and, and, and medical, you know, uh, people who make a big salary in the medical field. The fact is that they're hoarding money um, to send their kids to Tattnall and Tower Hill and friends um, and to, to, you know, to buy a house at the, at the beach that they can either rent out or they have a second home. 
And so the, 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 the answer really is, if that's the case, you know, if you feel like those people are going to leave to be able to hoard money somewhere else, if you really feel that that's true, the argument you're making is actually pretty deranged. Uh, you're, you're basically saying that, you know, people are getting particular advantages and taking advantage of them. It's not good, but we have no alternative. Yeah, I mean, I, so two things. Um, and this was brought up at the committee. Uh, and and goes to your point that, like, they're not going to fly out of Delaware at any mass degree. Uh, if you look at the overall tax burden, you can't just look at like one thing in a silo because it just doesn't work like that. The overall tax burden of every state around us is higher than Delaware. And even if we would have made the change, the modest changes to Pitt that even Kowalko was, which were more aggressive than than many other states uh, in our region, um, but still, you know, pretty relatively modest on who is being impacted. Even if you did that, the overall tax burden would still be in line or lower than the states around us. So I don't think that anybody would have been flying away to hoard wealth elsewhere. And to be frank, they wouldn't. <laughs> that pit bill, even as high of a jump as it was at 8.6, I think it was at the top, um, was they'd still be plenty able to uh, <laughs> hoard, continue to hoard wealth. Yeah, I mean, I, as I said before, I, I don't know whether, you know, there was specific, you know, I just think that uh, Krista and Jerry Brady did not want to look like people who voted to raise your taxes. And they knew that they're not going to pay a political price to do that. Um, you know, as you said, that, the that we have no sales tax here. Our our real estate taxes are are very very low compared to especially New Jersey, but Pennsylvania too. Um, so yeah, I mean, those representatives feel like they will not pay a political price for for doing that, and so that's why they did it. Um, you know, I think things should be spoken about clearly, and they should be treated uh, as such. Uh, when we'll see, there'll be other opportunities for them to redeem themselves, I suppose. But um, I guess we'll we'll see. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of super progressive bills, to your point, that still uh, need to get out of committee and onto the floor for a vote. Um, if leadership should kind of help facilitate that process to to happen. Um, you know, I, it, I'm still holding out hope that uh, we can do something on pit uh, during this session, whether it's this year and you know, probably next year. Um, I, I do believe that there is a structural need uh, to have the upper brackets that we had back in the late 90s, uh, even it's a little bit into the 80s, um, where if you look at kind of the history of Delaware tax law, um, Carper really was the one that did a lot of the cutting uh, on our brackets. But if you look back at the value of money in the 70s through the 80s and in the early 90s, um, the top bracket by value of, you know, time value of money back then was it was about what we're talking about adding back now. Um, you know, he cut them in the 90s uh, at the top and kind of consolidated our bracket system that we that we used to have. So really what we're talking about is just adding that back that we already that we had. 
Um, and I think that there's still room to, to get movement on that. So next, next one's the, the marijuana bill. Um, I, I was happy that it's progressing through its first uh, health and health and human services committee or whatever it was. And so now it's moving on to a finance committee, uh, which appears based on what I'm reading that it's going to be, uh, that's going to be the plug, right? That's going to be the hairball in the drain, sort of clogging everything up because, um, uh, Lumpy Carson is the chairperson of that committee. Uh, he has already, the last time this bill came to uh, a vote, uh, I guess abstained, which is basically a no, would, did not vote yes. Uh, so he was one of the uh, the problem uh, official, uh, uh, elected representatives. Um, am I correct to believe that we're looking at a 3-3 split in that committee on this bill? And if that's the case, what does that mean? Uh, so I haven't looked at the composition of the committee to comment on that offhand. Um, I will say, though, that, again, this kind of comes down to what leadership's willing to help facilitate, ha make happen. Um, if if they want that bill to come out of committee, then it's it's going to come out of committee. Um, you know, you, just today, New York's now in, in the news all day, all morning this morning about their legalization uh, bill being signed in uh, to law. And you have, you know, Jersey, everybody around us is going in this direction. It would really seem foolish for us to, to not do that. Um, and we're getting, it's, there's more political cover this year than has ever existed in the past. Uh, so it really just doesn't make sense not to just go for it uh, this year. Um, when you have the numbers, the people that don't feel safe voting yes, don't need to vote yes um, to get it across the finish line. So uh, it would make a lot of sense that even if if it does end up coming down that you have people releasing unfavorably or just on the merits um, during the roll call, that you get it through the committee you know, this year. Yeah, so based on uh, Steve at uh, at Delaware Liberal, the the Appropriations Committee is made up thus: uh, Chair Lumpy Carson, and then the members are Bents, Bolden, and Williams. And uh, on the other side, it's Briggs, King, and Hensley. Yeah, so Bolden has not been favorable to legalization in the past. Um, you know, I know we all have some friends uh, in her family that maybe, <laughs> maybe would be willing to talk to her about that. Um, so, but yeah, I mean that that the, the fact that it's going to that appropriations committee is is a, is just a little bit, um, you know, you know, it's sort of like is is it going there to die? Yeah. So I mean, you, that was the concern with the minimum wage bill as well, right? That it it went into Bill Bush's committee, who's gone on the record that he is not super supportive of increasing the fifteen dollars. Um, but then you know, leadership and Bill Bush came out and said, "Look, it will get a committee hearing. It's going to be on this day. Um, we're going to work it. It's not going to come in my committee and just die." He said the same thing with the youth and training wage, and that. Uh, was released from his committee, even though he has said in the past that uh, he wasn't super fond of of doing that bill in previous years. So um, that just, again, kind of points to the fact that if it's a priority of leadership to make it happen, then 
even if it's in an, an, a committee where the chair is not super favorable to the bill, it can happen. So let's move. Let's move on. Uh, today, uh, I know I don't know how many uh, gun uh, safety bills were were in committee today, but I know technically was, three. Technically three. Technically. Uh, I, my so you know I take a pretty uh contra- not a contrarian position. I just don't I don't understand why we're using as as sort of like uh, uh, Democrats or leftists or progressives or whatever you want to say, why we're using so much time and energy to do this. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I understand that when, for example, when assault rifles were banned for a period of time, you know, those crimes did go down. Um, that That's out of the barn now. Um, you know, everybody's armed to the teeth uh, who wants to be. Um, and so when we start picking around the edges about, you know, magazine sizes and different types of licenses, I just don't know what problem we're solving. Well, uh, I tend to disagree. Um, so, you know, if you let's just take just one example that literally just happened um, in, in Atlanta. Uh, the gentleman walked into a store and walked out 15 minutes later with a gun and shot and killed eight people. George is um, not going to change that law, though. I don't care about Georgia. I care about Delaware. In yeah. Delaware, that same thing could happen because we have no waiting period. We have no training requirements. We have a very, very weak background check. You can walk in and walk out in 15 minutes and go kill somebody. Um, permit to purchase would absolutely stop that from happening. Uh, you would have to have proof of training. You, you would not be able to just say one day, you know what, I'm having a quote bad day. I'm going to go walk into a store, a pawn shop, and buy a gun and go kill eight people. Uh, you wouldn't be able to do it. You have to get a permit. You have to go through training. You have to go through an extensive background check, fingerprinting, um, to use the exact same gun that he used in those shootings. Yes. No. I I I, I understand that it could happen here. Um, you know, there's a possibility that you know that somebody could be saved because somebody only ha- didn't have a, a high capacity magazine, for example, like there, are, I, I understand the hypotheticals and actually I agree. I actually agree that there should be more uh, around licensing, around waiting period, around training, around maybe even like insurance. You have to insure your car. Um, so, you know, I, 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 it's not that I disagree with the, the concept and the hypotheticals, I, I just like I said, it's it's it hasn't happened here. It would solve it could, but a lot of things could happen. Um, and it's it's it, it's it's a it's an issue that just begs for um, uh, maniacs and, and 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 people to come out of the woodwork. Uh, and and I don't know whether I don't know whether stopping a potential thing that could potentially happen that happened somewhere else. Um, is is worth is 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 worth is worth what happens when we try to pass even the most modest uh, reforms? Yeah, I mean, well, you see a lot of pushback. The same thing happens with minimum wage and pit reform, and on and on and on. I mean, conservatives seem to have nothing but time on their hands, um, and I would say liberals, although we care about issues probably just as passionately, um, tend not to have. Uh, or not to come out in the waves that you see in on the conservative side for whatever reason. 
Um, so maybe it's a, you know, a, a kind of the equation of anger will put forward a lot more effort than love. Um, so anyway, um, in terms of the hypothetical, yeah, I mean, Georgia, right, was a hypothetical. We haven't had any come by in the state of Delaware, buy a gun and then go kill a bunch of Asian American people uh, in different spas and salons in the state. Um, certainly that hasn't happened. But uh, most of the gun violence in Delaware is uh, opportunistic in nature and is uh, done with a handgun. And so if you look at, again, kind of permit to purchase, I know the magazine is a little bit more hypothetical in terms of it's just you look at the death rate uh, in the event that a mass shooting does happen, the higher the access to high mag capacity magazines, the higher the death rate tends to be for those kinds of shootings. Um, but in terms of just regular, not regular, but more common gun violence in Delaware, um, if you put up, you're not going to solve the issue. And I don't think anybody's saying you're going to solve the issue with any one piece of legislation. And certainly, as you alluded to, right, not with the flood of guns that already exist out in the world. But if you start putting up some barriers to access, you cut. It's like when you you have your car sitting out on street parking like I do. Right. Most of the time, if you leave your car unlocked, your car is going to be broken into because most crime is crime of opportunity. If you lock the car, if you put a barrier to access to that crime, you're less, it's not impossible. Somebody could still smash your window and get into your car or have one of those key fobs that unlocked any cars, but it's much less likely that your car is going to get broken into. And this is kind of a similar situation where you're not going to stop it entirely. But when you start introducing barriers to the crime of opportunities, then you can start seeing some reductions. And that's kind of what you've seen in other states that have done this. You don't get 80% crime reduction rates, but you do get 24 to 30% crime reduction rates, which is pretty admirable. Yeah, and as I said, I I, I, I certainly understand. I, I think, you know, you're talking about a dangerous thing and 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 putting some barriers to, to ownership and usage, I think is fine and licensing. I, I, I you know, I, I support it in in, in 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 a vacuum. Um I guess I but I also put it on a separate on a separate track, you know, if we can get paid family leave and minimum wage and I mean, we didn't get the tax brackets. Okay. But, um, like stuff for working people to make their lives better. I just, I'll, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be perfectly blunt. You know, when I see, um, the, the groups that come and lobby and petition and show up, I'm so happy that they show up. Because, as you said, it's very difficult to get leftists or progressives to show up for anything. So I'm glad that they do. But when I see affluent, you know, middle-aged white women from, you know, upper-middle-class enclaves come in to lobby for something when we can't get... I, they're not going to come for minimum wage. They probably agree with it, but they're not going to come for minimum wage. They, they didn't... I didn't see a big um, revolt from Moms Demand Action on tax brackets... And so I'm just frustrated that the the working person uh, or the single parent is ignored again, so that uh, affluent moms feel better. 
And I, I just, it's, it's very difficult where we spend our energy. That's, I guess that's, again, that's kind of how I started the conversation is like, it's not that I disagree with the idea. Uh, it's, it's that, I, you know, we only have so many resources to, to, to bear on something like this. Uh, I understand your, your point on, uh, you know, who we have coming out for what. And then I think it's a, it, 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 to your point, it is a little bit of a different demographic, a different population. Um, and, and hopefully with the great work that Ty's doing, um, hopefully she's staying dry if she is out today, but, um, you know, the great work that Ty is doing and, and the interconnectivity that um, Liz Richards at Delaware Cares has been able to do with paid parental leave, you know, maybe we'll get that kind of groundswell and sheer volume of people to get out and support something as, as, as expansive as that. Now, I will say, though, it, you know, with paid parental leave, the devil's in the details on that. Um, other states have kind of learned a lot of lessons that we should learn and introduce in our bill in terms of, you know, what's the cap on the benefit, you know, how much money up to a certain amount that you're going to get paid out, um, what percentage of your wage, right? If it's working for low wage people, then it needs to be a, up to what California did, right? Up to 90, 90% of your wages. Because if you don't make that and you're trying to get out on parental leave when you work a minimum wage job and you ain't getting at least 90% of that, you're you're not going to be able to survive on that, particularly with a new baby. Uh, it's just not possible. So if you don't have that high kind of percentage of the benefit, um, and so it's going to be important not only to support the policy, but to agitate to make sure we have the best policy possible. And I know Sarah's, um, you know, Senator McBride's going to do uh, a great job on that. But you know, she's going to if she doesn't have the support. Right. Then conservatives are just going to shout that down just like they do everything else. Um, so, it, yeah, I'm just like they do the minimum wage, just like they did with the pit reform. I mean, the committee area wasn't just individuals, uh, you know, legislators. It was individuals and, and, you know, conservative advocates that came out and said, no, we can't do this. Just like they did with the minimum wage. They're going to do it again for parental leave and everything else. So if we don't not only aren't pushing the legislators to make sure they go as far as they can, but getting out and showing up, like it's going to be hard. Yeah. And, and I don't, and I don't want to bash, you know, too, too, uh, too hard on, on some folks, because I know, you know, a lot, some of the gains that were made um, in the electoral realm were because there was organizing on the part of say moms demand action and other places that, you know, I'm sure I, I talked to, uh, Kyle Evans gay about this and I and you know she she defeated a, a, a long time elected official based on organizing and a lot of it had to do with you know people who are going to come out for gun for gun safety and and again I, I you know like I said I I, I under I appreciate where it's coming from I know it's good faith I think it's it's great policy and I agree with it I'm just I, I'm always trying to push people towards things that I think are going to have the biggest material benefit uh, for people and 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 not you know have to draw the ire of you know uh, reactionary psychopaths for for very little for very little benefit you know um, but yeah that, that's you know I, I I appreciate where they're coming from for sure yeah I mean the struggle is always to get people to get interested in economic justice issues you know beyond just I mean not to dissuade people from sending letters sending emails to your legislators great asset and, and matching the fire on the right. But 
um, as organizers as well. That's kind of reflective upon us, right? We need to provide opportunity and enthusiasm and, and channel that in a way that is as in your face, right? But on the positive side, as what you see from the conservative side on gun rights issues, right? I mean, we the reason that they get so much attention is because they kind of demand so much attention in a way. And so, you know, with regards to paid parental leave, just as an example, or, or minimum wage as is similar. Um, and certainly it gets even less enthusiasm the more in, intricate you go, like pit reform and youth and training wage. Um, we as organizers need to provide that opportunity for people to show up and turn up um, and kind of demand that attention as well. I would say the left doesn't do that as often and we're not as consolidated as the right is. We're a little bit more diffuse. There's a lot of progressive organizations in Delaware. Um, whereas you look at the gun rights, this is an example that I, just because they are so loud about it, um, there's really only two or three mainstream organizations that focus solely on that. And so you have more of a consolidation. So one of, when one of them or all three of them kind of get together and put on a march or a rally or what have you, it's a lot of people. Whereas if you had two or three progressive organizations, um, it's not going to be as many people because the membership of the progressive movement in Delaware is so diffuse. It really needs to be like a massive number of organizations that kind of come together in order to get that kind of turnout. I think that's a, that's a fucking great point. Um, there needs to be coordination between, and I talked to Ty about this because Ty's a good person to talk to about it because she's, uh, works with Network Delaware, because she works with Delaware United, because she works with the DSA, Delaware DSA. She's, you know, she's sort of connected to be able to bring to bear all the disparate groups for particular things. I mean, we don't do that now. As you said, we don't do it. But if we did do it, I think there's a lot of power there. I mean, there, there's You're definitely more of it. You're seeing more of it, I'll say. This year in yeah. particular, I mean, just speaking for Delaware United for a second, um, we kind of set into this year uh, with the mindset of, and it, it's come at some struggles and some costs, um, but we set in the mindset that before we start working on anything, we're going to reach out to as many groups as possible to find out if they're working on it. And if so, what are they already got planned? What are they working on? What uh, What's missing? What resources can we provide? How can we add to it? If they're not, you know, do we want to work on this together? And if so, can we, you know, get a meeting with other groups? Um, and, you know, we tried to do that with economic justice and went so-so. Um, we tried to do that with electoral, uh, turns out ACLU had the same thing in mind. So they are taking, you know, we said, all right, well add us to the list of your, you know, group meetings. Um, and you know, we've continued to try to do that with all of the women's rights issues that Nick Beard has been working on with Delaware United uh, and the groups that she's been working with. Um, but it, it, everything moves slower you know, you want to go fast and do it alone, but you're going to be diffuse in your ability to do action. If you want to go together, you're going to have to go a little bit slower, but you can have a more profound impact. And so we've kind of committed to that. Um, I brought a lot of that into the Sierra Club as well, um, that kind of philosophy. Um, and so, and I think other groups are kind of getting, you know, coming to that realization as well and, and doing that outreach and that work as well. Um, you know, Building People Power, I think, has been doing a great job of that. 
um, Ty and ABC and Cheyenne, um, you know, freaking all-star lineup. So, um, yeah, so I think you're seeing it much more, you know, for years it was progressives kind of complaining like, oh, everybody's working in silos, right? And reality, the complaint was you're not in my silo, right? Right, yes. That was kind of the, we said that like, oh, everybody's operating in silos, right? But nobody wanted to be the one that actually did the work of the outreach and going because it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. Um, and you're always going to piss somebody off because you forget somebody. Correct. Right? And so there, you know, and then so you do it and then oh, you didn't do it good enough. Right. So it's very dissuading to do that. But you got to do it anyway. And I think that people didn't want to do that. So they just wanted to say, like, oh, we're all operating in silos. Okay, but are you, I mean, looking in the mirror, right? Are you doing the extensive outreach necessary to not operate in silo? And I think for a lot of groups, it was no. And I think that kind of self-reflection has changed a little bit. And now you are seeing more groups. You know, I get emails every now and then like, hey, we're working on this. Are you working on this? Right. Which is great. Um, It's great to see more groups doing that. No, it's absolutely right. And I think a lot of it comes from, and I might have just done it here. It's like, I don't want to go do that. Like, I'm not going to go, like, I'm going to, I'll stay in solidarity with Moms Demand Action on Guns because I think it's important. Like, I don't know, like, I, I, are we spreading too thin? Are they going to go, you know, but the, but it, it's, it, it comes down to, it comes down not only to getting people to, uh, to come and stand in solidarity with you, really, you should be looking to where you can go st- stand in solidarity with other people. And that's the thing, right? It's not a question of like, so if somebody emails me and says, hey, you're working on this. And I'm like, no, I'm not working on that, right? That is, that's fine, right? I'm not working on that. What are you working on? Let's just lift up what you're doing, right? Like, we don't need to do it. Like, just because I'm not, you know, DU's not working on it or Sierra Club's not working on it doesn't mean I can't post on social media or put it in our weekly updates that we send out, right? Like, I can lift up what you're doing. And we have a policy committee that meets every month and we try to lift up the work of some group in Delaware. Um, And they come and they talk to the group and like, all right, how can we, we're not doing this, right? You're leading this, but how can we lift up your leadership? Um, and that's fine. But if you want to be the lead, right, if, or if you want to work on something specifically, it's on it's, it's on the responsibility, particularly for us as white organizers, and I would t- say even further for white male organizers, it's our responsibility to go out and find the groups. And this was a hard lesson for me. I got called out for this, right? This is a hard lesson to learn. Um, Rob, I know, you know, we've been in some circles where we've had these conversations, right? We've both, we've both been canceled. Uh, so, um, you know, it, it, it was a lesson to learn, right. That it's not an excuse to say, well, I just didn't know your group existed. Right. So that's why I didn't reach out. Like, that's why it's hard. That's why it takes long time because you have to springboard through groups in Delaware and through networks in Delaware. And yeah, you're going to miss somebody and they're going to get pissed off at you. And that's good. Like they should, you, they should be upset and you should be open to saying, you're right. I'm sorry. I wasn't able to find you. I didn't make that right connection. Like, but I'm, what do you, you know, what resources can I provide to you? I can, I lift your work up, um, you know, learn that lesson, right. And just keep moving and keep growing. I think that's exactly, exactly right. Nah, I mean, I, I try to tell myself that just being, being here and meeting people and sometimes I miss somebody and or just you know just uh you know absent-mindedly just as you said being a white guy you know not being uh not being clued into something or not taking that extra step and it's not going to work you know everybody you, you can't get egotistical or mad uh you can't like worry about uh what you're doing and what you try to do and what your intention was you just kind of have to move 
move forward and try to do and try to do better. I, I completely agree with you. So this this uh, just uh, sort of uh, broke. This news just broke yesterday, and uh, we will be speaking uh, with Crystal Womack uh, from Network Delaware at some point next week. It'll probably go out in a week or two um, because she was part of this, but a group of activists and advocates that were on several subcommittees of the of the what I call the Franklin Cook Protect Our Ass Task Force uh, sent a letter to the Department of Justice, uh, to elected officials, and made a public statement yesterday that they do not believe, and I think it was about a it was about ten of them, I guess. Uh, they do not believe that the work the task force is doing is going to come to anything. Uh, they think they're being sort of, uh, you know, it's sort of a dog and pony show sort of situation. And, um, yeah, I was very happy to see that they called out the meaningless task forces that we do. Um, so I'd like to get your feeling on that turn of events. Uh, but also... Um, Maybe talk about what the ACLU is doing because we're going to be partnering with them on a lot on, on basically talking about a lot of different projects that they're going to be working on during this session for criminal justice reform, and also the Cop Bill of Rights um, that we've talked about uh, on several different shows with the Department of Defense Services, with the AG and others, uh, and and changes to that, especially in light of um, some of the incidents that have come. Uh, to public uh, awareness in the last six months, say, uh, with with cop behavior. So, um, I'll let you I'll let you start out and let me know where you think this is all going and and what your feeling is about um, the the task force letter yesterday. Yeah, so I mean, I'll prompt all of this by saying Emily Evans uh, serves on the policy committee for for DU and uh, is the lead on, uh, for Newcastle County Smart Justice. Um, so she kind of keeps us in queue. This is again kind of the the issue of uh, you know with so many issues going on, you have to pick and choose which ones are going to be your issues uh, and work with partners and lift their work up uh, so you're not spreading yourself too thin. But that being said, um, the issue <laughs> that they bring up is valid issue is why you get so much pushback and exhaustion every time somebody recommends like a task force or a study group or what have you, uh, because more often than not, and you saw that with this one as well, um, a lot of the decision makers uh, that form these task forces kind of heavily skew the task force more towards the positions of authority on the issue rather than the impact of community on the issue. And and I think that happened here as well. It was heavily dominated. It, it should have been maybe 60, 40 impacted versus authority where it wasn't. It was the other way around. It was 60, 40 authority versus impacted. And so you always have the quorum to go against any ambitious change from the impacted community. And then this is what happens. Right. Um, so. You've seen that time and time and time again in task force. It doesn't have to be that way. And a, a lot of times you're really only talking about like one seat on the whole task force or the whole commission or whatever the, you know, the body is that's, and that's, if you're lucky of the impacted community. And so, you know, we brought this issue up uh, recently on a health related, healthcare related matter and, and on criminal justice related as well. 
um, with the studying of, of how COVID was handled in our prison systems. There was no representation from the impacted community. There's nobody from, you know, a family service organization that helps with reentry or, or programming for the families of people who are incarcerated. There was no, you know, civil rights advocate that works with incarcerated individuals. There was like not, there was no representation on that commission to study how COVID was handled in the prison system. And that's like, so all you have is the people that screwed up telling you whether or not they screwed up. Surprise, surprise, they're going to probably tell you that they didn't, right? And so, you know, a similar sort of situation happened here with the law enforcement task force heavily skewed towards DOJ, towards law enforcement agencies, towards the FOP, which we know is hugely problematic in Delaware and across the nation. Um, and then you have a couple token seats for impacted communities. And um, I think part of that was the leadership of the time, right, that put together who was going to be in this task force, right? This was before the elections that that changed the dynamic in the Senate. Um, so they set it up as they've used to set, the, have been used to set these things up, which is heavily favoring people in power who don't want to lose power. And this is the result. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I was happy that, uh, the groups, you know, the the sort of underrepresented uh, folks on those committees came out publicly and made this statement, and finally, and finally said what we all really know, which is this is this is something to just gum up the works to put and said on. in the beginning, like yeah. we all didn't just know it, right? We all said it like before this work even began in the first. Committee meetings or task force meetings. Correct. But it, it really, um, it, it was discouraging because, you know, there's going to be legislation come up uh, to reform the cop bill of rights. I've called for it to be repealed. I don't think there's any point to having it. I think it's a, it's a joke. And in light of uh, the murder of, uh, of Lamont Moses... Uh, in in light of uh, you know other shootings in Wilmington, in light of the Simba situation in Wilmington uh, and 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 in Camden during the uprisings, uh, you know significant reform is called for. Um, but when you see how the how the task force uh, situation was set up on on that side, it, it, it's. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm very discouraged. I, I, I don't think much is going to happen on that score. And again, not only that, I mean, not much happens usually, so there's no reason to be encouraged. Um, but yeah, I mean, what does this portend uh, for some of the reforms that, say, the ACLU is going to be looking for, smart justice, and with the, with the, the cop bill of rights? Yeah, I mean, I, and again, I think it's... It's yes, it's great that they have a seat at the table, but they ha when you're still the minority of the seats at the table, then you can kind of predict the outcome. And it's and it and the outcome was predicted and is so far exactly what we thought it was going to be when this you know, we is in the collective kind of progressive community um, said when this all started at the outset. I think that in terms of the law enforcement officers bill of rights. It, you're right. It's not it's not actually radical to say that we shouldn't have this. Right. It's actually kind of radical to say that we should have it. 
Correct. You look at the number of states that have this, <laughs> it's radical to have this, right? It's it's not radical to not have this. So it's radical to set like protections that a cop can basically just murder somebody in cold blood and get and just walk away um, with at most kind of a slap on the wrist. Like that's radical. So uh, I kind of to your point uh, with the way the task force is set up, it would be I would be gobsmacked if anything even close to a repeal came out in the recommendations from the task force. Now, given the new composition of the state legislature, which I don't think personally has shifted enough away from um, you know, overly representing law enforcement, um, I don't think we've shifted enough out of that direction to, to get a repeal. But based on what shifts have happened, what's going to be interesting is how much they ignore what's being recommended by the you know, law enforcement predominated um, task force versus what they actually file and introduce. So yeah. I, I don't think it's going to be an exact line with the task force said this, and this is what we're doing. And it's the same because I think there has been enough of a shift that wasn't represented in how the task force was established under old leadership to go in that direction. I think it will be further than what the task force, but I don't think it's, I don't think this JGA has shifted enough that it will be a full repeal. No, I, I, I don't either. Most of it has to do with, um, you know, sort of what you said before about, uh, about not the, the leadership in the house hasn't changed. So um, I, you know, that I don't see that. That's not going to allow any any big reform. I don't. I don't think. Um, I was. I was. I was happy to hear that. And and again, I didn't hear anything um, specific, but I did hear that um, the squad is doing squad stuff, the shit that they do, and I know that Marie Pinckney uh, has made some statements, um, pretty radical civil rights statements. I know Medina has as well. I know any any time any time uh, you know Dave, Dave Lawson gets his pants in a twist. I know somebody said something good. Uh, you know any time he has to like defend cops and t- say how great cops are. I I just I know when I see that that somebody said something very good. Um, so you know I I am encouraged that the um, that the environment's changing. Like it's you know. You, People can say what's really happening now. They don't. They don't really have to pretend that it's fine or that we have to ignore it or you can't say it because the leadership will, you know, will bury you. Um, you know, I I agree. You know, the, ultimately, and and you know, while I'm always about organizing and advocating and 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 standing in solidarity with people doing other stuff, there is an electoral aspect to this. These people got to go. There's a next round. You know, we did a few. Then we did a few more. Um, I said it when we walked out of that meeting room uh, when 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 that committee approved giving Amazon $4 million. I said, just give us two more election cycles and we'll be fucking done with this. And I think really it's going to come down to that. And I hope that the the change in sort of attitude and environment, you know, there... Uh, will wake some people up, uh, but if it doesn't, 
you know, as Carl said, we'll plot and we'll scheme, and you got you got to go. You just got to, you know, you're not good. Got to go, got to go. And so, you know, everybody everybody laughed and said, ah, oh, this person can't beat that person. This person can't beat that person. This is crazy. Um, yeah, guess what? It's not. And, you know, little by little, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll retire some people. And I will not shed a tear about it one little bit. Yeah, I mean, the Senate has certainly been transformed and really by process of one, maybe two key elections. Um, I think you could potentially do the same thing in the House if you're really strategic and put a lot of resources um, in a couple races. You could see a sea change because look, the, the the progressives in the House are already inching towards a majority. They're just a hair away from majority now, right? So really, you upset one or two key races, and. That's the sea change that you need, just like what happens in in the Senate. Carl, do you want to speak to this at all? I know this is your shit right here. I, I, I mean, I don't, Dustin's saying stuff about like concentrating on a couple places with re- electoral resources. Would you Would you know anything about that? I mean, there's conversations. You know, there's theories and ideas and conversations and ideas and theories. Strategies, nascent strategies. A little bit of addition, <laughs> multiplication. I think the, the other thing is going to be the kind of what what pushback is there on the seats that we won in 2020, in 2022, um, because there are certainly enough people out there that are a little bit still upset about. They, they're still a little hurt. They have some hurt feelings on some of those races that we won. So again, kind of. Going back to like with strategic planning and, and targeting resources, like you can't lose a single inch either. So it's kind of like, you know, the no, there. that's a very good point. I mean, I, I, I feel two different ways about it because what you're saying is correct. There's a lot of people struggling to cope. They need to work on their coping mechanisms because, quite frankly, they're acting like big fucking babies. Um, but the, the good news is. Uh, the people who replaced them are good, and everybody knows they're good. Like, it wasn't like a fluke. Like, like I know you're sad, and you lost, because you suck. And uh, if you think I'm talking about you, yes, I'm talking about you. So don't even fucking bother. Uh, but what you're saying is correct. I mean, we have to protect, uh, you know, certainly, you know, uh, what Kyle Evans Gay did was a shock. What Marie Pinckney did was a shock to a lot of people. What Medina did was a shock. I know, you know, Larry Lambert, uh, you know, somebody was really struggling to cope up there. And I feel bad for that guy because from what I understand, he's a, he's a super fella. But uh, you're not good enough. I mean, just lick your wounds and just, you know, tough shit. Um, yeah, I, I my worry about what you said was that um, stuff, a, a lot of stuff wouldn't happen. And people would would sort of revert back, and maybe those grudges would 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 build some sort of political kind of power. I don't think that's happening. Uh, I mean, one of the nice things that um, we've seen this year, beyond anything that we've seen, in, you know, I think in any recent history, um, you know, normally when people do their first bills, just as an example of this, um, 
what I'm alluding to. When people do their first bills, it's usually kind of like this ha-ha, kind of no big deal kind of bill. Uh, yeah, that ain't happening this year. You know, a lot of people are putting up their first bills and it's it's real stuff. You know, it's real policy that has consequences across the state. Um, you know, and, and sometimes they're not, you know, ex- you know, 15 page long bills, uh, but maybe they're only changing a couple of words. But the impact of that is can be profound. And so I think one of the nice things going on in 2022 is that right, that they didn't play around. They came in. They had policy priorities and they started working on them immediately. And some of the first bills you're seeing from these new legislators are bills that in previous years, it would have probably been a couple cycles before they would have taken that on as a prime, right? They had been probably a co-sponsor and just helping kind of shepherd it through. And now they're coming out right out the gate, being the prime sponsor of a bill and getting it, actually getting it done. And so that in 2022, right, they can take that back and say, look what I did. Now, what you've seen in in previous years was leadership bills would come through the staff attorneys and through leadership or what have you. And they would be given basically to legislators. And and part of that actually was knowing that they would have to run in in a year or so. And so they give them a policy. I know he's going to admit to this, but this is what happens. They give them a policy and say, this policy is yours, right? They didn't really... That wasn't something they ran on. It wasn't something that they have a lot of passion or knowledge about, right? It was like, this This is going to pass, right? So we're going to give it to you and, and you can run your next election saying that you did this thing. Um, and the process kind of shepherded the bill through by itself. And so that's not happening a lot this year with some of these big bills that you're seeing freshman legislators being primes on or co-primes on. These, they're not being just handed out by leadership. These are things that they're doing. Like they said they were going to do and they're doing them. So it's like way more authentic than what has been on literature in the past, where I know that you didn't give a damn about that policy. <laughs> I, I've, I've said before, because I'm a huge like uh, music fan and people ask me what kind of music I like. And I say like the good kind, uh, like Louis Armstrong used to say. And the good kind means it's genuine like when you go and listen to live music and somebody's playing it and it's good you know that they mean it and so when somebody's doing something that they mean like they don't really have to play politics like they don't have to kind of give you the runaround or give you they can tell you what they think they can tell you what they've done they'll tell you if if they had roadblocks what they were and they'll be very straightforward with people. And so I think there's a complete sea change. Like, I'm under no, like, I, I agree with you that I don't think we should take the victories that we've made in the electoral realm for granted at all. Um, you know, I know there are still powerful factions in this uh, state that hate us. Uh, and, you know, they have money and they have, you know, organizing sort of acumen to a certain degree. And so I don't, I take that seriously. But the game itself is changing, I think. It is changing. And, and um, you know, I'm not going to put anybody on the spot or, or name any names, but um, as much as this was, there was a lot of activists and a lot of good groups out there that poured a lot of money and resources and time and energy um, and, um, you know, good groups like Network Delaware and, and you know, the numerous spinoffs that they have now. 
um, that did all this training and, and continues to do all that work, um, which is great. But there was also a lot of um, kind of behind the scenes work within the system that is the, the system of which itself is moving left. And so you saw some of the players that are a part of that system help that process in a pretty, if you were in on it, right? It was a pretty significant movement that you've never seen before. And so I would say that, that you know, the, not only are we having an impact from the outside, the inside of the system itself is changing and we're be- kind of bearing witness to the impacts of that in the legislature. And I will say like the, what's been really great this year is the advocates didn't go away. Um, part of the nice thing about the virtual process that we have right now, a lot of the people that I was out walking, knocking on doors with, they didn't go away. They are still able to fit this virtual world in their in their space and do committee. T- I mean, our, our, the, the list of people that are willing to testify in committee and the stories we've been able to help pull out of them for their testimony has just more than quadrupled. I mean, it, it's exponentially increased. And so not only do you have, it's like a perfect storm of greatness right now. Not only do you have legislators that are willing to put up legislation that is real and progressive and leadership, at least in, in one chamber predominantly, willing to get it out of committee and onto the floor for a vote, regardless of if their whole party is going to support it or not, um, which it's very contrast to what's been in the past. You have a groundswell of advocates that are willing, if you can help them, are willing to use their voice and testifying committee and show support and send letters, help create tools like do you, you know, all those action network tools that we create um, and lend that support and that you're going to see the reflection of that, I think, I hope, in the next election cycle as well, where now you have legislators that are here now that we don't want to go anywhere can say, you know, look what I was able to do. We had community support. We did this thing, right? And it's caused this change for the working people and, and the, the, the most vulnerable people in Delaware. And then their race becomes a little bit easier. and Maybe, maybe we can focus more on those um, kind of key changes over on the House side. But it has been kind of this like chain reaction that if you step back and observe it, it's beautiful. Yeah, I mean that's what's so been so great about doing like doing the stuff I do, because um, you guys do all like the hard electoral and legislative work, and I just sit here and smoke weed and watch, and it is beautiful. I completely agree with you. I'm so, uh, you know, because I do think it is a real game change. Uh, people are the reason that you're seeing the the reaction to the direction things are going in is because people are not used to things happening outside a prescribed uh, lane. You know, there might be some movement this way or that, but this is the how that we did it like this. We talked to this guy and then we gave you the bill and you can be the prime sponsor of the bill and then we're going to do this and we have that committee already set up to do that. That's over. Now, the vestiges of that are still here. Obviously, we talked about some of them with the marijuana bill and other things, the, the tax bracket bill that got killed in committee. However, before it was sort of a pipe dream, and now it isn't. Uh, now, now, several significant steps have been made um, to, to, to really focus on a different kind of governance. And... Uh, and I'm pretty pumped about it. 
to be perfectly honest with you. It's a very, very exciting time to be in local Delaware. I have have people every now and then I ask me, oh, what about this thing on the national level? I'm like, I can't like there's so much stuff right now to focus on on the local and state level. Like it's great. Whatever's ha- it's just kind of icing on the cake. If something happened on the national side, there's so much power in the state that we have right now to do good things. If we can like get people in- energized and in on it. Um, yeah. hundred percent focus on that. Yeah, for sure. Dustin Thompson, advocate extraordinaire, uh, Delaware United, Sierra Club. He he'll be knocking on your door or popping in a, a Zoom session uh, soon. If you're if you're tied into all this stuff, you will you will hear him or see him for sure. Um, thanks for giving us this update, man. I really appreciate it. Always glad to come on. Always fun. Yeah, we'll speak to everybody soon. Left is best. I think Mom's Demand Action just uh, just cut my internet.